welcome to time for us it's me and you hanging out again having another beautiful chat today's episode is going to be on ketamine i know wow look at me having these conversations outwardly is my favorite thing to do in life aside from breaking out into random intervals of singing i love talking about moderately inappropriate things so today i come to you to discuss humble magnificent and as far as i'm concerned very much abused ketamine as far as i can tell in my own experience ketamine seems to have launched itself right through the stratosphere in popularity and i think that that popularity branches out further than just its medical uses and the line or the the line <laughs> loved that the i was gonna say thought like the thought line or the process of thinking that i'm going to or i'm going to approach this topic with is one of recreational use so i'm gonna make my standard disclaimers and that's that i'm obviously not a doctor and i'm also not a scientist but i have done some research online and i feel like we just all generally need a bit more of an education on ketamine I think we have our ideas of what it is. I feel like we've all listened to some kind of a podcast in which someone's told us the glories of ketamine and how it's healed depression and suicidal ideation and so many other wondrous things, which I'm not bashing ketamine for at all because all of those things are in fact true. But I'm taking another kind of angle, which is, yes, this is all glamorous and beautiful, but here we are standing on a dance floor doing this ketamine beautiful magical substance as a recreational drug and i just want to unpack that a little bit further Alrighty, let's kick things off and i'm sure you've noticed a bit of a jump in the volume there i realized i had my mic volume turned down for like the first half of this podcast so mi scusi let's start with an obvious opening question which is what is ketamine i should stop singing i can't promise i will but i will try my very best So from what I've seen online and researched, ketamine was created in the 1960s, so it's been around for a while. And it was created following the development of a drug called fencyclidine, which is also referred to as PCP. That drug, PCP, was also, same as ketamine, an intravenous anesthetic that was ultimately discontinued for medical use because it had some serious neurotoxic side effects on the patients that were, I guess, operated on using PCP or fencyclidine. And these side effects were things like mania, deliriousness, and hallucinations following their operations that they underwent. Okay, so I'm telling you about PCP because PCP was the predecessor to ketamine. And then only once they developed this drug PCP and they were like, hold the phone, we actually can't use this on people because they're going nuts afterwards. It has some really bad effects. They tweaked and developed whatever chemical compound they used and they came up with ketamine. And ketamine is quite similar or analogous to PCP in terms of its structure. And when I say structure, I mean chemical structure. I found that pretty interesting. And also, by the way, guys, people are still taking PCP. I don't know if I should be telling anyone about another drug they can take, but don't take it. Apparently, it's really, really bad for you. Um, It's got like, the street names are Angel Dust, and I think Supergrass was the one thing that I read as well. 
um, super duper addictive, super not good for you. But yeah, people are still out there taking PCP. Although now that I'm thinking about it, we've probably all taken it because it gets mixed into a lot of other drugs. So apparently they use it sometimes and they mix it in ecstasy or LSD. So yeah, <laughs> haha, jokes on us. Okay, so ketamine was first synthesized in 1962 and it was first tested on volunteer prisoners in 1964. And the prisoners who underwent these ketamine treatments, they described their experience as they were floating and out of space or they had no feelings in their, or feeling, feelings, feeling, they had no feeling in their limbs. And they also, some of them described having a feeling of dying. And I've heard some people speak of ketamine in that regard as well. I'd imagine that's when you take like a really big dose. And I think it's also if you do it sober, I'm not sure. I've never done that, but I have heard all of these things reported. So ultimately, ketamine was then found to have the exact same anesthetic and pain relieving effects as PCP, but with far less adverse side effects and after these initial tests or research-based treatments they defined ketamine as a dissociative anesthetic and I'm going to say dissociative again because I think that's pretty much why people gravitate towards using the substance and it also preludes some of the research or comments I'm going to make on the uses of ketamine in a more I guess, like therapeutic, mental health type space. Alrighty, so ketamine was then approved by the FDA in the early 1970s for the use of putting people under anesthetic and maintaining them of being under anesthetic. And I think the key thing or the key difference between ketamine and other anesthetics is that it essentially disconnects the brain from the body's sensations, hence the reference to dissociation. I found this quite fascinating as well and that's that because the brain now when you when you're induced with ketamine no longer receives information coming in from the body it means that your brain now has an expanded awareness and that is kind of where the hallucinogenic effects of ketamine comes in because your mind now has this expanded awareness and I guess it has just like a lot more so much room for activity you know because <laughs> it's not getting in any information coming from your body i think it's also worth addressing the horse tranquilizer story that comes with ketamine and the question is ketamine a horse tranquilizer well yes actually it is a horse tranquilizer well not specifically horses it's used by vets they also use it on other animals but obviously i mean i think it should be said and it does go without saying that the amount of ketamine that you would use to dart a horse or to put a horse under anesthetic is far greater than what a human being would take in order to be put under anesthetic and then obviously what you would take recreationally would also be less than that. So just for fun I thought I would give you guys some actual numbers and when sedating a horse the dose could be 5,000 to 10,000 milligrams of ketamine given via an IV push and then if you were giving ketamine to a person to put them under anesthetic, I've seen various things come up. So I'm not going to try get into that. It's obviously determined via your weight. So it's a calculation that depends on the size of the human being that's being administered the drug. But if a person was seeking ketamine treatment for depression, 
the dose would be something like 50 to 120 milligrams given over 30 to 45 minutes. I'm assuming also via IV. Okay, and then I looked at this website called drugs.com. So just bear with me on that front in case anyone didn't understand what I was saying. It's drugs.com. But I also thought it would be interesting to see what they had to say around how much ketamine someone would take recreationally. And it turns out there's many ways to skin a cat, including to take ketamine via intramuscular or subcutaneous injection. So an intramuscular injection would be like where you would get the jab for a vitamin B, like in your tuchus, in your butt, or like in your shoulder. And then a subcutaneous injection is to get the jab in the fatty tissue that lies just underneath your skin. People take it intravenously. I've heard of stories of people doing that at Boom, which is this crazy festival that happens in Portugal. Don't worry, that's not the crew of friends that I roll with. That's not who I'm going to Boom with. But I have heard that that is, I think, not an uncommon way to take ketamine. And then also people take it orally. I found that super interesting. How wild is that? And then lastly, the most common way is to take it via insufflation, which is a new word that I've learned. And that is the good old-fashioned snifferoo, babe. That's when you stick it in your schnoz and you sniff it right up there. So I tried to do some kind of a calculation based on the insights that I got on drags.com. And that was around the average amount that someone takes when they're sniffing ketamine. And it says between 60 to 250 milligrams. Okay. Now, if you had to do the math and you had to back calculate from, imagine you had a gram of ketamine, which would be 1000 milligrams. If you divided that by 50, that means that you would have 20 bumps of ketamine in a bag. That to me seems a bit like a very hefty bump. That's a very bumpy bump. So I'm not going to necessarily say that it's that's the average amount, but let's just call it if it was 50 milligrams that you were taking in a massive hefty bump, according to drugs.com. If you equate that or compare that to 5,000 to 10,000 milligrams that you would give a horse, I'm just saying. I think people like saying it's a horse tranquilizer because like there's something about it that makes it sound like you're a total badass. I don't know. I just wanted to set the record straight. You're not a horse, babe. Okay, so I'm sure that there are a million other podcasts that you can listen to that will talk about this in a more scientific way. But this topic or this podcast is not entirely that. And while I am giving you guys facts, I'm obviously also discussing it from my viewpoint and as it kind of applies to me and my life. And I thought that I will touch on the mental health aspect because I do think it's important, but I'm not going to dive too deeply into the nitty gritty of the science, but I will lay some science on you. So there are two ways that ketamine therapy helps people that are experiencing depression, acute depression, or suicidal ideation. And basically, these treatments are administered to people who are not seeing any results from any other kind of medication. And for those that have undergone ketamine therapy, the two ways that ketamine kind of impacts the brain or how it has this, I guess, combative effect on depression is that it dramatically reorganizes brain activity. So in a way, taking a massive dose of ketamine has this effect of like a switch being flipped on and off or like the plug point being pulled out of the wall. And it kind of allows for a bit of a reboot, if you will. 
essentially what it does is it changes the neural activity patterns that happen in the brain. And neurons that were normally active kind of get disconnected and neurons that were lying a bit more dormant or neural pathways that hadn't necessarily been that active form new connections. So it kind of allows the brain to restructure itself or the connectivity in the brain. It like jumbles it all up and restarts it, which is pretty cool. And the second thing, which I'm going to try explain, but please forgive me, as I said, I'm no scientist, is that there are some neurons in the brain that are involved in mood that use a chemical called glutamate in order to communicate with each other. So people who have depression generally have neurons or nerve cells that don't respond to glutamate anymore. So the glutamate receptors on their nerve cells are kind of deactivated or weakened. So they don't respond to this mood chemical. But after ketamine, once they've taken ketamine, it's almost as if the glutamate receptors on their nerve cells have been restocked or replenished, or they've kind of reappeared so that these nerve cells can now uptake or respond to glutamate which as I said earlier is this mood chemical so I guess that also has a a role to play in the antidepressant effect because there's this mood chemical that's in that's being released in the brain but people with depression aren't able to uptake this chemical give them some ketamine somehow these receptors that respond to the specific mood chemical are replenished so now they can take up this chemical and obviously help them moderate their moods. There's also some research to show that ketamine reacts on the body's or the brain's opioid system so it has an antidepressant effect via that and I'm not going to get into all of that but I think it's worth mentioning that in some of the articles that I've read the researchers who have done these studies have said that while it might not be a concern to many other people that it is something worth noting that ketamine works through an opioid mechanism and the reason that's something to think about is I guess when we think about the human experience with opioids and their addictive nature so the concern I guess is that people who use ketamine might require larger and larger doses of ketamine over time in order to feel its effects as is with the case with opioid painkillers like any opioid addiction basically you have to take a shitload of them in order to start feeling the high and that kind of leads to that addictive kind of pursuit of the drug and like not to now make anyone have a big fright or be overboardly concerned but generally speaking there is kind of this tendency towards taking a shitload of ketamine and that the more you take it the more you do take the more you take it the more you can take it's just like the more you have to even take if you want to feel anything so I feel like that point's pretty accurate and it's not to say that it's doom and gloom or to make too much of a direct comparison to opioids but I mean this is all that I found online and I think it is just worth making a comment on so some other things that I found out is regarding how ketamine is digested by the body which I don't even think we think about we just like take it and we just like oh wow there it's disappeared it somehow went into the magical ether and there's no further ramifications other than the super groovy feeling I'm feeling right now but I hate to tell you that's not the case and it's it could be worse could definitely be worse but ketamine it says is essentially broken down by the liver 
it does a lot of processing of the ketamine that you ingest and that some of the breakdown products that come from your liver digesting it get passed into your bladder to get peed out and then that can cause some agitation in your bladder or in your urinary tract. So I've, I've seen a few articles and one of them was like a super major doctor analysis of some patient that came in and it had like scans of his organs and everything. And I went down to the bottom and I think generally the top level understanding is that because ketamine has the ability to relax the smooth muscles in your body and to clarify what that is, those are kind of muscles that you find in your stomach and intestines and also in your urinary system. So that kind of alludes to why it impacts or why the negative side effects of ketamine abuse are urinary tract abnormalities. And just just to clarify what a urinary tract actually is, the urinary tract is your body's drainage system for removing urine. And in essence, it's like a combination of all the little things in your body that have to work together in order to make this happen. So it's your kidneys, it's your pee holes, and it's your bladder that all come together to make the urinary tract. And interestingly enough, I've also seen the term ketamine bladder syndrome being thrown around. So this is obviously a real thing. Abusing ketamine has an impact on your urinary tract and then apparently also upper gastrointestinal effects as well, which I guess also relates to this whole smooth muscle relaxing thing that ketamine does. That said, all the research that I've seen as well has said that if a person who is showing these kind of ailments or these symptoms or these really not so nice things stops using ketamine and kind of like basically stops using it entirely that their body heals so it's not all like doom and gloom apparently if you just stop using k if you're having problems like this then you should be right as rain okay so that brings us i think to the close of my like researchy low-key headache low-key headache part of the podcast and I say that with love it's been great but my head does ache I hope I did a reasonable job of explaining that to you and now we get to the fun part which is my opinion yippee it's the favorite part of the podcast for me at least and I just would like to chat about the fact that I feel like at least in like social scenes these days there seems to be two factions And these two factions are the cocaine faction and the ketamine faction. And once again, I am painting with broad strokes. But I mention this because I feel as though, and it could just be me, the people who do cocaine are more frowned upon than people who do ketamine. And the people who do ketamine kind of, in my opinion, seem to feel as though what they're doing is far better than cocaine. And... That's not to say that it isn't because fundamentally cocaine is a schedule two drug and that means that more than it being psychologically addictive, it's also physically addictive. And obviously, yes, it's cut with a whole bunch of other random crap and we definitely know it's not good for us and it's not great. And then we have ketamine, which is a schedule three drug, which defines it as something that is less physically addictive, but is also psychologically addictive. And when I say it is psychologically addictive, I mean it can be psychologically addictive. I think this comparison between the two drugs exists as well, just by virtue of how they look. They're both powdered, 
They both come in little bag or maybe not in little bag, but they end up in a powdered form in some kind of a vessel. They both have this camaraderie about them in a way in that you often share with your friends if you are doing the drug. You will offer it around. You, you know, gather people around. You do it together. It has this ceremonious or ritualistic aspect to it. And then in addition, it also has this repetitive aspect to it so you will do a bump or you'll do a line and then you'll do another bump and you'll do another line and then you know you kind of and so on and on it goes throughout the evening you repeat this behavior and I don't think that there's many other drugs necessarily that you do that with you know you're not going to be popping a pill every one hour (laughs) maybe you are maybe you are and in which case wow Wow, 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 wow. We definitely know. That's all I have to say. We've seen you on the dance floor. We know who you are. But lastly to that is the way that you take it, which is through insufflation, the new word that we learned. So the most common way to take both of these drugs is to snort it. And I'm building up this comparison and drawing these parallels because I want to highlight the danger of doing that. And the danger of me and whoever else drawing the parallels or drawing these comparisons between cocaine and ketamine and how they're used quite similarly but are quite very different in terms of how they impact you in terms of their experience but then also how they impact you in terms of your body's actual reaction to them or their chemical structuring. But the danger is that doing this whole saga glorifies ketamine. And I just want everyone to know that you are glorifying ketamine, that most of the people who use it glorify it. And at the end of the day, I just need to give you a little PS, PS, I love you, but PS, it's a drug. You are doing drugs. Ketamine is a drug. Doesn't mean that it's less of a drug because you're comparing it to cocaine or comparing it to any of the other drugs that are out there fundamentally it's still a drug and I think it needs to be seen that way I don't know if people see ketamine as a drug I know that sounds bonkers and this does not necessarily apply to any potential listener but from what I've seen there seems to be this lack of respect for the fact that ketamine is a drug and I think respect is actually the perfect word so I'm going to try like make a point maybe through a little bit of a storytelling moment Imagine that you were out at a party and you decided that you wanted to do some cocaine and you went up to someone at the party and you said, excuse me, do you have some cocaine that I may please have? And they said to you, no, sorry, I don't do cocaine. I only do ketamine. And that response isn't very uncommon. You do get people who will say, no, I only do ketamine. And I feel like that statement in itself kind of stands in the face of doing cocaine with potentially a little bit of judgment or maybe on a little bit of a high horse and the question I have or the the answer that I'm trying to get to the bottom of is that I understand why someone might choose not to do cocaine because I'm no, no one you will never hear anyone sing the praises of cocaine can we just say like no one generally like wants to write home I mean yes they do write home because yeah let's be honest it's a lot of fun but generally speaking it's like people 
have such a bad perception of cocaine. They look down on it. It's disgusting. It's such a terrible habit. Like even saying the word is like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud on a podcast. Jeepers, creepers. I mean, that's just all the connotations around cocaine. 100%. Not arguing with you on that at all. But what I am going to like counter argue is that I only do K. But like, okay, why do you do ketamine? I understand that why you choose ketamine. I'm not asking you why you choose ketamine. I get why you choose it. We've just like elaborated on all of that, the minutes leading up to this point. But the question is, why do you do it? Is it because it's fun? Is it because it makes you feel loopy and a little bit wonky? I know for some people it can be quite energizing depending on when you take it. But then again, it's like, why is it fun? Why do you want to get all loopy and feeling wonky? And I think the answer to that is because fundamentally, you just want to feel something different. You wouldn't be taking it if you didn't want to feel something different. You want a reprieve potentially from your thoughts, from yourself, from your life. Maybe you want to shift in perspective of your world. But all of these reasons don't do much to differentiate ketamine from most other substances like alcohol, for example, or weed or any other drug, to be honest. Yes, the feeling is different, but the reason, as I said earlier, is why are you doing it is the same. The reason is the same. So the question I'm asking then is how is taking ketamine different from taking other substances in order to change the way you feel? And once again, I understand that the substance itself is different from others, but the act of using the substance in order to change the way you feel in your body is not. So the act is the same, even though the substance is different. And this is what really gets my goat, is when people start referencing all the research around ketamine and its antidepressant effects. I have a question for you, and that's, are you depressed? Are you depressed? Have you thought about that? Maybe you are. In fact, maybe we all are slightly depressed in some way. But if you are, then wouldn't the best way to handle that be with conscious awareness, not necessarily standing on a dance floor and putting yourself in a K-hole? I kind of feel like those two things are slightly different. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying that drugs can't help with epiphanies or with shifting your brain's patterns particularly with ketamine as we've discussed but if you are depressed you can't merely be taking ketamine every weekend as your solve I'm sorry I hate to break it to you you actually need to do the work and if you're not doing well mentally in my opinion you need to address that head on not force yourself to dissociate from it and if you are determined to use ketamine as a kind of approach to managing depression and your mental health and you thinking to yourself now bugger you Danielle I don't need to go see a psychologist or psychiatrist I'm determined to try this ketamine thing well then there are questions you have to ask yourself and that is are you tracking your mental health are you monitoring if you even feel better or if you feel worse how do you feel before or after you know like if this is why you're claiming that this drug is so beneficial and that's potentially why I'm assuming you would mention it is because that's why you're using it then are you doing any of these things or do you actually not really care about your mental health and you're just trying to find a reason to make doing ketamine okay 
And my final, final little gripe is the sense of accomplishment that has now come with how much ketamine you can physically tolerate and how much you can actually do in one go. I just feel like people have the sense of really bragging about how much K they can do. And I just want you to know, like, let's just reflect back on the comment that I made about ketamine's impact on the opioid system in the brain. Your tolerance develops with excessive use or with using it a lot and a lot and a lot. So it's something that you should maybe just be like, hmm, hmm, you know, like just hmm, think about it a little bit, think about it a little bit, something that maybe you should be a little bit hmm, concerned about. Um, yeah, and also, like, how old are we? I don't want to be funny, but, like, are we are we in matric rage? Are we downing Smirnoff courts? Like, what is it? I don't understand why this sense of competition around, oh, I just did, like, a shovel full of ketamine, and I'm still standing. Well, congratulations. I'm going to phone Dr. Phil right now for you. He's on the line. Hold on, Dr. Phil, just hold on one moment. Okay, I had to hang up on Dr. Phil because obviously I'm podcasting, so it was like a little bit rude, but I have his number saved on speed dial, so don't test me. Okay, guys, this is kind of bringing me finally to the end of this podcast, and I would just like to close in saying that I'm not hating on ketamine, but I am low-key, high-key hating on how it's being used. And as I've said probably like a bajillion times in this podcast, I think people need to realign their perspective on what this thing actually is and stop pretending that it's not a drug and start developing some respect for it. And also start asking yourself some questions. Don't glorify it. Don't glamorize it. Don't set it apart as if you're not abusing it or using it as you would any other substance. Like, let's just start putting some intention behind why we're doing this. Think about it. Why are we putting ourselves into a giant K-hole intentionally? Honestly, like, I'm, I'm honestly interested. Like, I would love to know the answer to that. If you can tell me, I'd, be, I'd love to know. Do you even know why? If you've thought about it and you have an answer, please, actually, I'm really interested. Like, I would love to understand why that's happening. And you know what? Fuck, what, fuck my input or my understanding. I would love for you, you to understand why that's happening. Like for you to really pick your own brain. Because I really think it's something that you should do with more consciousness. And I also feel like going into the K-hole is idiotic. I'm sorry. I said it. There I said it. That's my unpopular opinion for the day. I think it's idiotic to put yourself in a K-hole intentionally, repetitively. But hey, each to their own each to their own okay guys that's it for today thank you for listening i hope that you enjoyed this episode please will you give my podcast a rating on spotify this is my cue to you go onto my profile there should be like a little rating star thing click on me on the not on me on the stars give them a little star number rating maboob and if you are enjoying my podcast please will you also follow me on spotify baby Follow me so that I can get my followers up and that I can look cool to all my friends. I'd really appreciate that. New episodes definitely out on Wednesdays. We are going to rotate guest interviews and solo episodes. And then I'm kind of playing around with the Friday episodes. But we'll see how that goes. Thank you for listening. I love you very much. And I love me. And no judgment to anyone out there. This is just me getting on my soapbox and expressing some thoughts. Hope you have a beautiful day. Bye.